0: All right, Carla, so here we are, special episode. We're going to talk about some of the incredible animals that you have. Um, So let's, we didn't get to all the animals that we have fun video of. Let's talk about the big daddy, the one everyone really wants to see, which is the spider monkey. Uh, This was, this is incredible. (laughs) Tell me about the spider monkey.
1: All right, the spider monkey, uh, and we just have one. And I know people sometimes are like, oh, she must be lonely. Her name's Lily. She's a four and a half year old now. She was raised by a family, Uh, I think she was probably about two weeks old, bottle raised by a private family that thought it would be a good idea to get it for their daughter because she's a terrific young lady. But they brought it into the state of California and monkeys are not legal here. They had her for about a year and then the neighborhood started finding out about a monkey because people are fascinating monkeys. And then they realized the liability that they put their family in and responsibility to that particular animal and decided they needed to put her in a permanent home or placement. and they found us. So Lily's been with us ever since. And to address the fact that she's not by herself, she does uh, visit and have playtime and she thinks she's a human monkey, but she plays with our capuchin monkey, our lemur, and also with a vervet monkey. So we do have to her with other monkeys and she's good because she acts like an, a real monkey which is awesome that's the ultimate goal to have them act like real animals
0: so she has play dates
1: play dates every day different monkeys different things we also do a lot of behavioral enrichment toys for them that have food or activities that the monkeys do keeps them just like a kid educated and um, interested and curious
0: well, it's, you know, they they are incredibly intelligent creatures. It's weird. I've never been that close to something other than a human being that is that intelligent. And they're, you know, Lily was, she scans everything. She's always looking for what's going on. And it's amazing.
1: Yeah, she checks your pockets, see if you brought her any goodies. Um, she, she sees everything. And people think, I don't know, I guess because we have pets, uh, dogs and cats, and they're intelligent, but monkeys are, like you said, very human-like. And it's not fair to put that intelligence just to sit in a cage. That's not that's not a satisfying life. That's why we bring her out all the time. She loves hanging out with people and uh, doing her interaction. Now, ultimately, of course, monkeys would be in the wild. That's not her reality. If we put her in the wild, she would probably survive four or five days she'd be outcast, she'd be beat up, she would be um, bitten, and then that would be her end. But she can do a lot to teach people about habitats. First, she steals your heart. You're like, oh, I love monkeys. Then you realize the intelligence of the animal, and then you also realize why they need to stay in the wild. And that's her whole message
0: with her. She steals your heart and then steals <laughs> your food. Um, and steals your
1: food. <laughs> uh,
0: now, hold on. So it's like pretty... So she would get bullied in the wild. She'd get beat up. I mean, it sounds like middle school.
1: It, it you know what? Living in the wild is really harsh. People, um, when we say people ask, how long do they live? And I say in the wild they'll live about sixteen years. Captivity, she'll live about twenty five years. In the wild, wow. you know, you don't get to go to the vet. Yeah, it's a big difference. You don't always have food every day. You sometimes get bit in the hand by a spider and you'll have an infection that you can't, um, you know, treat or deal with because you're, you you know, just don't have that medical science. So they live a lot longer in captivity. If you have a rotten tooth, and that's what happens a lot, if you have a tooth that's bad or cracks, uh, you'll die because you'll get heart infection if if you were a monkey.
0: Wow! I guess even as a All human, let's go to your dentist. Wow! I didn't realize you could die yeah. from that.
1: Oh yeah, always go to your dentist, even if you don't like them. Go. That your teeth are number one health issue.
0: The more you know. Um, <clears throat> now let's t- let's talk about some inv- Oh, we know. Let's talk about the armadillo. We didn't get to the armadillo, which is yeah. I love armadillos. Let's tell me about the armadillo.
1: You know, armadillo is a, a very prehistoric animal. Uh, here in the United States, particularly California, they used to exist in a state of six foot from the nose to tail and about four and a half foot tall. Huge animals. Um, they ate insects as well. And so the insects must have been a lot larger than they are now. And uh, they're just an animal that's been around a very long time with unique cover and protection. That outside shell is like uh, keratin made up the same material as your fingernail. And it enables them to stain even when an animal's trying to chew on them. So it's pretty cool. They uh, have terrible eyesight, an excellent sense of smell. And uh, this little we have is called a hairy armadillo, and they're from South America. Hairy because it has a lot more hair than our North American armadillo. And unique thing to them, they can't roll up into a ball like the hedgehog, Um, a rock or a speed bump, and uh, really get rid of the by digging extremely quick.
0: You know, it's you know when you talk about the armadillo being six foot tall, it is amazing to think because I live by the La Brea Tar Pits and they have monuments yeah. of um, of sloths being six foot tall. First of right. all, I'm not. I, I know it's a prehistoric record, and especially in the the tar pit, there's lots of the fossil record shows that these animals' bone structures were that big. It still blows my mind. I feel like something must be off because what. If 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 an armadillo eats insects, like you said, how first of all, how many ant colonies does it need to decimate every single day to support that kind of weight, or B, right. how right. large are these ants?
1: <laughs> well, I think that is the last what 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 was going on, but exoskeletons don't preserve as well. Mm, um, but if right. we get to look at like an amber or a sap fossilization, those those ants and centipedes were huge they were much bigger like sizes of dogs so everything must have a much bigger footprint literally back in prehistoric time than it does now and when they whether it was a meteor or um, climate change or whatever happened um, the smaller ones through adaptation were the ones that could get into a niche and survive better that's what has remained in this in this period of time
0: it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's just crazy to think about. Um, now, now this is a great segue. So speaking of, of, you know, catastrophic events causing creatures to hide away and evolve, there is, I just read this story yesterday. Um, it's an amazing story uh, in Australia. I'm forgetting the name of the island. I don't have the article in front of me. But basically, a... a they had these big, long, um, like not really cock They look like walking sticks, but they're long and black. A large, very large insect, and this populated the island right off the coast of Australia. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, this is right around the 1920s. A ship wrecked on there, and you know, there were five or six people that lived, and then they they moved on. But on the ship were black rats. So the rats came onto the island, were introduced, and they found that boy, they sure do love these insects, and within 20 years had decimated the entire insect population on the island. And for, Mm -hmm. you know, since the 1940s, people believed this insect to be completely extinct. But spoiler alert, in the article, what you learn is that on a single bush at the top of a mountain, these insects had crawled in and hid and reproduced for the past 60 years. So there were, I think there were literally 24 insects on this bush um, and the Australian government was allowed to take two and they ended up, you know, studying them and breeding them in captivity that the the rats are still running the island. But so this insect was basically put to the brink of elimination because of this invasive species. As we talked about in the interview, when an animal doesn't have a natural predator, this happens. So this happened there, but, but some of the animals that you have, Um, You know, this is a problem, like the Burmese python, for example. Big problem. Yes,
1: huge problem. And actually, um, I don't know how it's going to eradicate. And they tried putting bounties on the pythons and everything. And uh, what happened, though, I think the best thing that's happened for our swampland with the python in particular, is that they had a freeze a few years ago, a couple of years of freeze. And that really stopped a lot of reproduction. So naturally that might help but still it's going to be a problem because they're eating alligators and deer and there's no other predator that's going to take out a 28 foot Burmese python
0: I think what a lot of people don't realize is that when you go to the pet store and let's say you want a you know you want a spider or I'm the spider I'm sorry when you want a snake So you buy a Mm -hmm. snake and you think, oh, well, this must be – your natural belief is that, oh, this must be native. And not even like consciously believing that. But you don't understand that that python that you're buying is like from Asia. So it's from across the world. So you can't – and and not all snakes live in the same swamp area. So when you let it go into the swamp, yeah, the swamp is identical to the swamp in Asia. But in Asia, that swamp is suited to take care of the population – of the python. When you enter it into the swamp here, it grows, it breeds because, man, does it love this temperature, and then right. no one But eats there's it. no
1: predator that keeps That's the right. balance of nature there. And we're finding, I mean, it happens on it happened on Hawaii in modern times, on Guam, and uh, the instance that you just talked about with the rats and the, the insects, it's a perfect example of how bringing on a non-native species can cause a huge habitat change or destruction or balance of nature. And um, we're smart enough to know and teach about that, that we can be responsible and not do that. So that is definitely a message that Pacific animal production feels is really important. And if we can do it in a nice way, instead of telling people, no, you can't have it, but explain why it's not a good idea I think people get it better. Not everybody, and that's why there's many different ways of teaching people. But I think, in my experience, a friendlier, um, educated way of explaining why we don't want to have exotic animals and with people that are, not everybody, but where people are irresponsible and let them go to the wild is not a good idea.
0: I also don't think people understand like the devastation that can be caused by that. So sure, you can say that they can breed without control and that no one is you know, preying on them. However, they're still eating and they're still growing. So what they're doing is they're mm-hmm. eating the food supply of the other animals. Exactly. Well, now those, those yep. animals don't have food.
1: They don't have food, and then those species are going to go extinct. And what we might not even go down further with the road is If, let's say, an alligator carries a bacteria that it's excreting after it eats something and it keeps the water cleaner and there's no longer an animal doing that, this is hypothetical. Mm, But uh, then we're going to have contaminated waters and those waters flush out into our golf system and the golf system produces thousands and bazillion pounds of shrimp. I mean, there's a whole imbalance we might not even be aware of. It's the butterfly effect. I mean, it's truly the butterfly effect. Everything is connected. Everything is important, even microscopically.
0: Well, you know, and I think people, you know, the average person doesn't understand and think like, oh, that's grandiose. It's going to affect billions of shrimp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it totally does. I mean, what you just said is a completely plausible, realistic scenario, as grand Mm -hmm. as it may sound.
1: And um, I realize that. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but I'll start one step at a time. You know, let's Mm -hmm. get them to understand this. And then if they have an interest in that, hey, I'd much rather have three people interested than zero people interested. Because that's that's really the only way we're going to be responsible humans. And this is not our planet. This is every living organism's planet. So everything is important.
0: It's very, very true. Um, I mean, in, just to go, just talk about one, because I think you have two other invasive species which are kind of interesting. The iguana, which has taken over Puerto Rico, um, mm-hmm. and then the horned, um, what is it? It's the horned uh, frog. That's not what it's called.
1: Frog, yeah. But that took yeah. over frogs. Australia. Yep. And the cane toad. I mean, frogs, um, frogs and toads are a huge problem worldwide, and people just think they're cute. They don't get that Uh, just right here. Red, red legged frog in my area of North San Diego used to be everywhere. And now the bullfrog has found them to be easy prey and eat them. And it's causing a big imbalance and people are like, it's just a frog. But again, it, it can trickle down to that whole shrimp thing that we don't know how it's affecting things downstream, literally. And, um, the, the whole responsibility of it of people just doing it inadvertently, not knowing it's just a cute frog. Let it go. I'm raising tadpoles in my classroom and then I'm letting them go. What kind of tadpoles did you let go? Oh, I don't know. Well, it was a, it was a bullfrog. Yeah. (laughs) Just frog tadpoles. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that, that was a bullfrog and bullfrogs are not native to here. And now you just put that in our whole water system in this little town. And you know, that's a quite good possibility. They're very strong that they will, and lots of bullfrogs which are not from here
0: no it's true and also because they they don't have a predator you know in in the water and you know where bullfrogs are from they probably have a you know a certain life and you know life in the wild well here without yep. a predator that may be double so they may be wreaking right. havoc for twice as long
1: right and like you said killing other animals trying to eat oh there's a frog a bird comes down and eats the frog, a little sparrowhawk or a kestrel, and it's not immune to the secretions oh, right. that they have. Mm-hmm. And then now we have a bird of prey that's just bit the dust because it didn't realize. So yeah, it, it just goes on and on. It's exponential.
0: Uh, it sure is. Um, I mean, it, it really is, and that's not even talking about the man-made problems that we have. This is just animal right. animal.
1: Right. Um, exactly.
0: Well, so let's let's talk about some fun stuff to to, to end this. Um, okay. The, let's let's bring it, let's make it cute. The chinchilla. Now, hmm. I didn't know that their teeth never stopped growing. How does that work? Is that true?
1: I know, and and that is a, a rodent family, rodente. Um, that is a characteristic um, of that family that they have to chew. They chew, chew, chew um, in the Andes. They get nutritional value out of sticks and branches because it's not highly... Uh, vegetation up there, so they chew all the time to break it down and digest it. so in captivity, if you don't have them chewing on things, these teeth literally curl or can grow into the the upper and lower jaws. so chinchillas are pretty cool little creatures. It took them quite a few years to actually acclimate them to make them an animal that could be in population, and that was for human gain they wanted to use the fur. Hmm. to make chinchilla coats oh, so they yeah. were brought to the united states in the
0: 20s well let's not go on a rant about animal fur coats.
1: oh sorry yeah uh, we're not okay. going there because
0: i could but go there's... down a whole rabbit hole here or any kind of animal <laughs> hole i won't not specifically rabbit but
1: you know I mean. <laughs> and i'm with you uh we do not we are so sophisticated we do not need any animal uh fur that is just uh that's a vanity thing for me, but um, we have a lot of man-made and recycled materials and alternate fabrics that we can use. That Definitely. Aren't human.
0: And if if you don't agree with us, you need to watch the original cartoon version of 101 Dalmatians right now, and it'll take you off for that's right. forever. That's
1: right. There you go. I love
0: it. Thank you. Um, now, speaking of fur, let's talk about, you, you have a hairless cat? What is that? I don't understand what that is.
1: Oh, that, you know what, I did a project called Cats, Rats, and Bats, and um, this partner I worked with just really wanted people to come in and take a look at animals, and they realized the ooh-ah factor, and that animal has been created by man for an ooh and ah. We do have a hairless cat. She was given to us by a breeder to show the breed, and she is not the most attractive, but I must say she is the most loving cat I've ever met probably because she knows she has to be lovable. That's <laughs> true, she queen. wants to live, right. <laughs> but um, that is from a breed of cat called the Rex, and the Rex is known for its soft and really short curly hair coat. And somebody in Canada decided that, oh, if we did this breeding, we could get a really short hair and then popped out a no hair. And so this no hair cat came out and they called it a Sphinx cat even though it is not from Egypt or Africa at all. It was originated in Canada. So, yes, we have that, and uh, we have it from that project. And now she actually – guess what clientele likes our hairless cat the best? Uh, Okay, I'll tell you. I have no idea. The senior homes. They love that hairless cat. (laughs) We do senior homes, and I first could not figure out why but I think because she looks a lot like them.
0: <laughs> oh, it's like looking in a mirror. <laughs>
1: <You> know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just guessing, but they love her, and she's probably really affectionate, and they think that's fun, too. Yeah,
0: I imagine you would we be love a, big, <laughs> a big hit if you bought a bunch <laughs> of Sharpays and uh, and hairless cats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, now, let's talk about, speaking of crotchety old people, let's talk about the alligator. <laughs> this is... What's kind of cool. You, so you have an alligator. I've seen this. It's a, this is an American alligator, right? Yes. Uh, We actually
1: have four and that's enough.
0: That's a lot.
1: It is. And uh, we do have backup plans because, um, you being here, um, realize that, you know, we're not a swamp. So when they go, uh, and get to an an excessive size, they grow over a hundred years. So I, personally won't be able to be responsible for these animals their entire lives. We have some, uh, arrangements that they're going to retire in Florida. Two of them are males. And because they're educational animals, they'll have their own harem. That's what you call, uh, a couple of females that hang out with a male in Florida. And they've guaranteed that they won't be alligator soup or anything, but part of their educational team.
0: Wow. Well, I think that's what humans call them as well as a harem. Uh, That's kind of amazing that you have animals that will outlive you. I mean, outside of any Mm -hmm. extreme advances in technology and medicine, they will outlive you and you have to Mm -hmm. create like a legacy plan for them.
1: I do. I have a trust and a legacy plan for them. That's exactly right.
0: Amazing. That is great forward thinking. And that that is to me a true argument that you care about these animals and that this isn't, some sort of you know personal selfish endeavor like this you really are safeguarding their longevity into the future far past your influence on them
1: and you know I think you learn that as you go at first as a child I wanted pets and then as I got uh, older I wanted it as a career and then as it became a career I understood it was more of a responsibility than I could have ever imagined or anyone told me and now that I feel like um, I've developed not only a career, but it is really way more than me or you know, the animals. It's it's the responsibility to everybody, but the animals are the teachers, and they deserve ultimate respect. So, yep, I, my husband, my kids understand it that they they are our responsibility as a family. Uh, we brought them into our home, and that is they're going to be given the ultimate. For being the teachers.
0: Well, I couldn't say it any better for myself. I think that is a great place to end it. Thank you so much, Carla, for this, for this extra little tidbit. Um, I think we learned a lot about some very interesting animals.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I always am excited to share what we get to do. Hopefully, um, we're making an impact and teaching and maybe just making people think a little bit different because it, it again, is not just our planet. It's the animals that live here with us.
0: That's very true. And we only scratch the surface of the number of animals that you have. Uh, so please check out the website, com, where you can learn about Cooper the Wonder Dog, which we didn't go into. Um, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Carla, thanks again.
1: Thank you. Hope to uh, see you at an event and tell us how you saw us. Thank you. All right. For thanks, guys.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.